You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of arrowheadpride.com. Hanging out, as usual, with my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, when I say it's OTA week, what comes to mind? It's all voluntary. That's all we've talked about <laughs> in this particular offseason is the emphasis on voluntary. I'm getting a little tired of it. <laughs> yeah, that is really a lesson we learned a few years ago. I remember, I, I think it was with Justin Houston and Eric Berry and maybe even Marcus Peters in that mix, where reporters were wondering and asking Andy Reid, where are these guys? And he made it very clear, listen, this is a voluntary exercise. So we will see if players show up and it's not up to them or it's not an obligation for them to be here. So stop wearing me out about it. Oh, it's so <laughs> uncomfortable. You could cut the tension with the knife. But yes, that is something to remember. It is voluntary and we're going to get into it in a second here, but more voluntary than ever, especially with the NFLPA and the owners going back and forth. But hey, listen, it's one of the things we're going to talk about. We got a great show for you ahead. We'll talk about OTAs as mentioned. We'll talk about the elephant in the room or in a room in Atlanta, Julio Jones, catch up on some Bashad Breeland news. I have an interesting game for us to play all in segment one. Segment two, we will go in deeper to OTAs. We'll preview maybe what to expect, what not to expect. And then segment three, we will talk about who has the most to gain and the most to lose at Chiefs training camp. Before we get into everything, want to remind you to rate and review this program. Five stars help. We're building and rebuilding this Arrowhead Pride podcast network. feel like we got a good thing going here with uh, the AP out of structure. If you haven't listened to Show and BK, they were fantastic last week. Uh, so make sure you go in and back and do that. Our British friends across the pond. Terrible British accent right there as I, as I just tried to do that are doing a fantastic job. So uh, if you're enjoying everything from the podiums included in that, please rate and review us. Everything helps. All right, John, here we go. It's OTAs. And as I said, in segment two, we're going to dig deeper. So really surface level here, we're just naming uh, some dates uh, that are happening. So it begins today. Today is May 25th. And as you had mentioned, it's voluntary. And so we have the three days of OTAs that happens from 25, 26, and 27. So the one difference here in this first week, it is the three days. But the one difference here is that the teams can go on the field against one another. There's no contact. So this is football, but there's no contact. It's it's just running through plays against each other, uh, but they can do that for the first time. So that happens on the 25th, 26th, and 27th of May. We skip to next Tuesday, June 1st to June 3rd. 
And then they finish with four days, which is June 8th to June 11th. And then, and only then, do we have the mandatory minicamp the next week, June 15th to June 17th. John, for me, what this marks is, I think the first time all year where it feels like the 2021 season is within reach. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, this is this is what you want to see is the team out there on the field doing things, and when that's something that we haven't really, well, it's happened a little bit, but in a very stripped down way during the first two phases yeah. uh, of the off season, it's mostly been about virtual meetings, which is fine under the circumstances, and I think we're going to see virtual meetings as part of the as part of the landscape going forward, regardless of how COVID ends up playing out. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, where they can put offense against defense. That was something that they couldn't do last week. Andy Reid talked about that when he was asked some questions about specific right. players. So, uh, you know, this, this is more like what we want to see. Uh, we'd love to see the players out there, you know, going at each other, but that's just not going to happen until training camp. And even then it'll be limited. So, and I wanted to explain to everybody and especially fans, because I know, people are, are dying for Chiefs news. This is a hungry fan base and a hungry team after what happened in the Super Bowl. We may not get much information until Thursday. Thursday is the mm -hmm. first time that credentialed reporters can get eyes on the team. It's the first time we will have Zoom availability. So I don't know how much information will be coming out earlier in the week, but stay tuned because when it does, we will have you covered at arrowheadpride.com. Again, a deeper dive into maybe what we're looking for and what we're expecting out of OTAs to come in segment two. All right. I know a lot of people have been talking about this in Kansas City. I've heard it on the radio airwaves. It's really gripped the nation because there are 32 teams in this league and one team is planning on trading what is a five-time all-pro receiver at the age of 32. And we got a, a phone call yesterday, probably the most famous phone call, I would say, since the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire phone call where the guy... <laughs> On live TV, called his dad to tell him he was going to win the million dollars. Uh, R.I.P. Regis Philbin, God rest his soul. But here we go. Uh, Shannon Sharp, undisputed, uh, giving a call to Julio Jones of the Atlanta Falcons. Hmm. You watching, Julio? I really hope he answers here. Julio, have the guts to pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Julio. Hold on, hold on. Let me put you on. <laughs> I got you. This is your favorite uncle. What's going on, bro? Man, nothing much. About to go meet up with my brother. What's happening with you? Man, look. You want to go to the Cowboys, Julio? Or you want to stay in Atlanta? Oh, man. Nah, I'm out of there, man. You He's out, out. Of there? He's out of there. Told you. Are you going to... Ideally, where would you like to go? Oh, uh, man. Nah, I'm just... See, I want to win. Okay. Yeah. We don't go to Dallas. If you go to... You ain't winning in Dallas, Julio. Uh, you already, you already, man, listen, come on, man. You already know I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you remind him we're on television? Ask right? him why we're the Dallas. Well, there you go. So you get the gist of it there. The conversation continues a little bit, but that's the meat of it. Julio Jones called by Shannon Sharp on live TV. And from what people have said after this is he didn't even know that he was on the phone. He thought it was getting a call from a Hall of Fame colleague, of course you're going to answer, and of course you're going to be honest. 
Really bad look, in my opinion, for Shannon Sharp, but <laughs> an injection of news, uh, really, I think that the NFL needed at this point, which continues to keep the 52-week cycle of the NFL alive. And so you hear J- Jones right there, uh, wants to go to a place to win. And so this immediately turns the attention to the contenders in both the AFC and the NFC. And the Chiefs, right, are considered a Super Bowl favorite, if not the Super Bowl favorite, even though they lost last year. And so immediately you have a very vocal section of the fan base and some hosts around the area saying, we got to get this guy in Kansas City. John, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um, the Falcons are in a rough spot. Um, you know, the, the it came out yesterday after the uh, after this phone call that uh, Jones requested a trade some time ago, some months ago. Right. And so as a result, the Falcons have been fielding offers, but it hasn't exactly been a public thing. It's just been something that everybody knew about, but nobody had ever acknowledged publicly. But after the, wor- the worst call, kept you- secret, I think it's been right. called in the NFL. Right. Exactly. And um and now with this statement out there, it's substantially affected the Falcons' bargaining position. Uh, because if you don't say anything about it publicly, you can always say, well, you know, we're we're just not going to trade him. You know, you just can't make a deal for him. Well, they can't do that now. You know, uh, the, the, everybody knows that Jones has requested a trade, which might not have been true uh, before yesterday, before Jones and, and Sharp had the phone call. But you don't have to look very hard at the Falcons' situation to recognize that this is something that they've got to do. Um, they don't even have enough money to sign their rookie players at this point. You know, the Chiefs, uh, because of the way they're, the, the players they have on their roster and the fact that they didn't pick until late in the second round, were able to sign their picks for about $300,000 against the cap at this point of the season. Eventually, they'll count for about $5 million when we get to the final cut down in September. But right now, it was only $300,000. In contrast, the Falcons need about $6.8 million to sign their draft picks, and they only have about $1.8, I think it is, $1.6, under $2 million in cap space. So they've got to do something, and the, the biggest, most obvious thing they can do is trade Julio Jones, who has a $23 million cap hit this year for the Falcons, uh, a big chunk of it, $15.3 million in salary. Uh, they're going to have to do this trade after June 1st to spread out a bunch of dead money over the next couple of years. Whether or not the Chiefs can afford to take on a contract that's guaranteed to pay Jones $15.3 million in this season, right now they can't do it. Right, uh, They only have about $8 million in cap space. Obviously, there are things they could do to open up some space, but really, the biggest trick they have left in the book is to give uh, Tyron Matthew a contract extension, and they would have to do that before making the trade. Uh, that that has to be in the books before they trade for Julio Jones, or else they're over the cap. And we don't have any in- indication that the Chiefs are doing that. Yeah, they could you know, make a new deal with Jones that would lessen his cap hit this year. But it's hard to imagine they could get it below, um, oh, I don't know, six or seven million, taking right. up all of their cap space. And then you're I also just, signing a 32-year-old right, to a bigger right. deal. 
Yeah, to no th- less than a three-year contract. Yes. I think yeah. it was interesting that Peter King was asked this on Twitter and he answered and he was like a five, five or six percent for the Chiefs. And so I think that's the reality. I right. also want to clear up some more reality in this. And this is actually, to me, a good, I don't want to say lesson because I don't want to feel like I'm on like a high horse, but a, a good, interesting thing to note whenever we're, we're talking about these situations, right? You'd be listening to Kansas City Radio. You might be on Kansas City Twitter. You might be seeing our local talking heads being like, oh, go get Julio Jones. Everybody wants Julio Jones in Kansas City. And then suddenly you're like, oh, the entire fan base wants this guy. But then you go to our poll. And right now we have more than 4,500 Chiefs fans who have weighed in. And 61% said no. So there is a reality. And I, I granted that is still a little bit more than th- a third of the fan base that wants uh, Julio Jones. But there is a reality where sometimes I, I think you, you take the opinion of the vocal minority and and then you're like oh this entire fan base one no i think a lot of people understand exactly what you're talking about john and yeah. i think like don't get me wrong I, I think julio jones still has a season a, a two who maybe knows even three years left mm-hmm. but it's not like you're getting a young player so like what has happened historically for 32 year olds especially at the skill position positions running back and receiver once you're 32, like Julio Jones is, a fall-off can happen at any time, and it can be mm-hmm. very quick. And you're also coming off a season where Julio Jones was dealing with leg injuries, a hamstring injury. He had nine games that he played, less yardage than, than we're used to. And as you had mentioned, this is a case of the Falcons desperately needing to reset their salary cap. They're left with no choice. I think ideally they would like to keep Julio Jones. They just can't. And so they're forced with this decision. Do we trade Julio Jones? We get back draft capital, which means more players at an affordable rate. We know that from the Patrick Mahomes contract in Kansas City. Know that well and Mm -hmm. what that advantage gives you. Uh, And keep players that are still in their mid to late 20s, their defensive players in Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones, team leaders. You'd have to cut these guys if Julio Jones winds up staying on the team. And I, I land on this right, I think, where you've landed. You can't acquire him if you're the Chiefs. I, I think you simply can. And I, I think they have 14 or 15 receivers on the team for a reason. It's because they can't afford right now a $15 million cap hit or a $12 million cap hit in what would be 2022. Same thing in 2023 for Julio Jones. They want these second and third year guys. We're talking about Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, or McCole Hardman to step up into that Sammy role, which I think you got a pretty good chance. You have Cordell Powell who will be on the team. And then you have what? 10 or 11 other receivers who are going to fill in that sixth spot. And and one of these guys is going to be good enough for your sixth receiver where they can contribute on offense limitedly and play special teams in that Marcus Kemp style role. Kemp's actually on the team. So who knows if he just ends up getting it. And then you have potentially an expanded practice squad where you have two or three developmental wide receivers. And guess what developmental wide receivers cost you? Nothing, right? And that's what the Chiefs need to do when they're paying a quarterback or getting ready to pay a quarterback, you know, a salary cap number that could be north $40 million on your team. And I understand it's going up and up and up, but you you have no guarantees right now in, in this world that we're living in. Yeah, it should be $20 million more next year. But the amount of moves that you would have to make right now this year to get him on your team for 2021 it just is unrealistic. In a great ideal world, maybe the Chiefs and Clark Hunt um, 
are the Yankees or the Red Sox, and they just spend and spend and spend. There's no salary cap in baseball. There's a salary cap in the NFL for a reason, and it's to keep this parity. And so teams can't load up with the Julio Jones just become, because he becomes available. And that's more entertaining to me than what I think you sometimes get in baseball, which is these small market teams not really being able to contend unless every single thing falls into place, like was fortunate enough for Kansas Cityans to happen in 2015, where the younger crop was playing well at the right time and they were able to win a World Series because the pitching was there. They did spend because they felt like they had an opportunity and, and at the deadline and so on and so forth. You don't have to worry about that in football because everyone's on the same playing field. And that is essentially why I just cannot see this happening in Kansas City. And there are some arguments that do make some sense. I mean, it's true that the Chiefs' offense is more effective with a quality wide receiver opposite Tyreek Hill. We saw that when Sammy Watkins was on the field for the Chiefs in the last uh, couple, three seasons. And so you can make the argument that if the Chiefs had a player like Jones, the offense would be more effective. But you can't say that just because we have Julio Jones on the team, we're going to have another 1,000-yard receiver. There just aren't enough balls to go around to have three guys uh, catching passes uh, for a thousand yards each. It, I just don't think that's going to happen. And so what you're talking about is spending a lot of money for a guy who at most is going to get 750, 800 yards as a receiver, something more than Watkins did, presuming he's available, but not, you know, he's not going to be the player for the chiefs that he's been for the Falcons. All right. And last thing on this and, and, it's interesting to me because I look at the Falcons and if you're the Falcons, you got to trade this guy to the AFC, right? Mm, yeah. You have to. And I think about the Chiefs when they felt they were finally in a place where they had to trade Marcus Peters. Yes, Marcus Peters is on the Ravens now, but the Chiefs traded him to the NFC, which was really smart. If he's going to beat you, let it be in the Super Bowl, which actually, you know, it almost came to be that year when the Rams made it and the Chiefs did not because of... Well, we don't have to get into it. Anyway, what I'm saying is <laughs> if you're if you're the Falcons, you should probably be trading him to the AFC. And I think the odds reflect that. We have odds from Bet Online AG as of two hours from this recording. And here's how it goes. The Patriots are minus 105. The Titans are plus 275. The Ravens are plus 300. The Miami Dolphins are plus 750. And the 49ers, first NFC team on the list, are plus 1,000. So now you're seeing the AFC teams rise to the top. And what's interesting about that, and here's my, I think where, I think the, the, the point hits the nail on the head. Because of the, how good the Chiefs offense already is, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, mystery receiver number four. <laughs> they're going to win 14 games, right? 13, 14 games. Mm, yeah. Is Julio Jones worth the 15th game? Maybe, maybe not. Right. They might be losing that game anyway. For a team like the New England Patriots, you had Julio Jones, where you don't have a number one receiver or really any, an outlet for whether it be Cam Newton or Mac Jones. I know you loaded up a little bit with the likes of Nelson Aguilar, but you're adding Julio Jones. You might be going from nine and eight all of a sudden to 11 and seven, and you have the space. It just makes so much more sense for other teams. And I think the reason why you're seeing all these AFC teams in the mix is because this is still Julio Jones. And if you have the room, 
you're going to be bidding with each other. And so this is perfect and playing out perfectly for the Falcons in a sense. It's going to be a post-June 1 trade when they designate it. And now they're having teams bid. I think they end up getting a first rounder for Julio Jones. I really, really do. Because I think one of these teams is going to want him so bad. And the amount of wins that it means for them is worth the squeeze of sending a first rounder for Jones. And who knows? I mean, the Chiefs may have to deal with him in the AFC. And I, I think that's more and more likely by, by the day. Well, they said that about Antonio Brown, too. And, uh, you know, in the end, he didn't do that much. And I, and I, and Julio Jones is not in the same category of Antonio Brown. You know, Antonio Brown comes with a whole bunch of baggage that Jones does not have. Right. And Jones is a top-flight receiver. There's no doubt about that. But the bottom line is that the price that a team will have to pay to get him um, would be worth it to a lot of teams but probably not the Chiefs, and that's what it comes down to. He's going to cost a certain amount of capital, both in money and in draft assets, one way or the other. And the advantage that the Chiefs could get from using those assets to get him wouldn't give them as much of advantage as another team would, and that's why another team will probably end up with him in the, in the final analysis. Now, if a couple of teams get in, yeah, maybe they could get a first-round pick for him if there's some bidding going on and somebody's got to you know, get in, ahead of another team to get Jones. But if that doesn't happen, we could see him go for a, a second or a third-round conditional pick, something like that, uh, as was being discussed by people like Peter King yesterday, who's already aware that some teams have made offers like that and the Falcons have said no up to now. But that may be what they have to settle for. But if they can get a couple of teams bidding for him, yeah, we could end up seeing him go for a first-round pick. All right, John. That's it. I'm saying he's going for a first-rounder, and I'm willing to put a six-pack on the line. So there you go. <laughs> All right, here we go. I uh, want to move on to the next thing, and this is the other side of the football. Uh, this is a story that is a little bit old now, but we've been podcast recording once a week. Bashad Breeland visited the Minnesota Vikings last Thursday. I'm going to give you my quick spiel on here because we spent a while on Julio Jones. I just think that Bashad Breland is waiting to perhaps recoup what is a long-term deal. He's so sick of signing these one-year year deals. Maybe he's waiting for a training camp injury. I think if the price was right and it was like a minimum style type of salary, he would be back with the Kansas City Chiefs again. But the Kansas City Chiefs this year turned a corner in my mind about being really smart and selective with their money. And they might see Breland in a different light than we do, where it could be a replacement level player that a DeAndre Baker could fill. So why overspend to get Breland in camp when he's looking for a certain amount of money? I just think it's a simple disagreement. And I tend to think, I'm not as sure about this one as I am the one, uh, the first round pick. I think Breland ends up elsewhere. But there's an angle where, who knows? You know, you never know what can happen here. You get to OTAs, knock on all the wood. I'm not trying to will this into existence, but if Traverius Ward has an injury that you, you didn't expect or something mm -hmm. like that, maybe it yeah. becomes more pressing for the Chiefs to spend a little bit more money. But as it stands right now, I don't think the Chiefs feel like they need to bring Bashad Breland in. Whereas I, I can understand the Madden in us. A lot of the fan base is like, get this guy back in the building. Yeah, I agree. I think the I, I feel bad for Breland. Right. Um, I think I think he was a, a better player than he's been paid to be. Um, you know, I don't think that the deal that the Panthers made for him that they ended up voiding because he had the foot infection or whatever it was uh, three seasons ago 
Um, I, I think he probably deserved that deal given the circumstances he was in at that point, the way he'd played for the Washington football team. But, you know, so I feel bad for the guy that he's been put in this situation where he's had to sign these one-year deals for three years in a row. And he's now looking at the potential of signing a third one-year deal with the Chiefs. But that's the reality of the NFL. Sometimes it plays out that way, and it it just didn't come up roses for him in a key moment uh, in 2018. And kudos to Brett Veach for recognizing that, you know, he had another opportunity to get a player that he wanted to get um, back in 2018 and couldn't. So, uh, you know, he's handled this very well and continues to handle the situation very well. They could have offered him another deal earlier in the season, and they didn't. And now they have a chance to get him if they need him, and only if they need him at a, at a relatively inexpensive cost. And there's moves you make along the way that even give you simple leverage. Exchanging late-round picks from Mike Hughes gives you a little bit more mm-hmm. leverage because mm-hmm. you, know, you say to Bashad's team... We don't need to make this move. And it becomes more the case when you add some guy who with a lot of upside like Hughes. And so I don't know if we see Breland in camp with the Chiefs. I think it is still possible. Uh, it gets more unlikely. Every day it goes on, I, I just think it becomes more likely that he'll end up elsewhere. And I think that's okay. I really, yeah. I, I don't view Breland as this type of player. Again, going back to the Jones example, that makes much of a difference when it comes to your win total on the year. I just think he's a, repl- I think he's a fine player. I think he had some above average games for the Chiefs, but I think he is still replacement level, at least in my opinion. You may differ on that. You're welcome to, of course. All right. <laughs> We're going to play a little bit of a game here. And I just find that this is a sign of the offseason being in full swing. And these debates came up throughout the week, and they seemed like the biggest deal that day. And then all of a sudden, you're on to the next thing the next week. But let's review them. I'm going to say a statement, John. You say if you agree or disagree and why. We'll go through these fast. It'll be fast, fun. And if, if you follow the NFL cycle like we do closely, you'll remember them. You might have forgot them already, but you'll remember them from just uh, less than a few days ago. All right, here we go. Tyree Kill is the greatest deep threat in NFL history. Disagree. Greatest deep threat right now, but not in history. That's a big hill to climb. <laughs> and he's not there yet. Are you? Uh, did you just throw a, a pun in there? Was that an intentional pun or an unintentional pun? Uh. You said a big hill to climb. Did you not oh, catch yeah. yourself? Oh, obviously. Very unintentional. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I was going to give you credit for that. Thank God I did not. I take back my credit. No, he's not <laughs> the greatest deep, deep threat in NFL history. I think there's a chance, but yeah, you got to remember what Randy Moss did with Tom Brady yeah. and in revamping his career. And prior to that, during his tenure with the Vikings, we won't even speak about what he did with the Raiders because I don't think anyone even remembers that. Uh, but just... Uh, he's not to that level yet, but you know, you stay long enough with Patrick Mahomes, you maybe restructure a contract or two, mm-hmm. Tyreek, yeah. and who knows if, if you maybe consider that one day. All right, next thing: McCole Hardman defeating Henry Ruggs, Devin White, and Justin Jefferson matters, and we're talking about in that forty-yard dash they did for Bleacher Report. Does it matter? Yes. I think it matters for for Hardman to demonstrate that he is one of the fastest players in the league. Beyond that, it doesn't matter much at all. Okay. I have a little bit of a hot take here, and I'll embrace that. All Tyree Kill has wanted to do since he got into the league was get away from being the fastest receiver. <laughs> That's it. He doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want to be the speed guy. He wants to be a receiver. 
Mm-hmm. Cole Hardman, it just seems like really wants to be this jet speed guy. I just don't see the amount of enthusiasm that Hill did in becoming a receiver. And so I don't love this mentality of like, I'm faster than y'all. All Hill wanted to do is get away from that. He's like, no, I'm a receiver. I'm not a retired specialist. I don't, and I just, I don't love that aspect of it. I think it matters in the sense that, okay, Hardman is the fastest player on the NFL if you take away his teammate. I think he is. I truly do. I, I think he's at least right there. But like I said, I just, I question sometimes the mentality. There doesn't seem to be the enthusiasm of getting away from the gadget as Hill displayed, uh, especially early on in his young career. I think that's a great point. Yeah. We'll see. Patrick Mahomes doing some stuff at OTAs is a big deal. John. Um, yeah, but maybe not as big a deal as some would make it out to be. I would go. I would go along with that. But yeah, that's a big deal. You want to see him ready to come out and do something uh, now and in training camp. So yeah, it's a big deal in that sense. This is the most predictable story of the offseason. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes over eager, got to protect Patrick Mahomes from himself as he. No, this does not matter. Patrick Mahomes, we knew for a while, is going to be ready by training camp. But this is the classic like. Chiefs, Lore, Patrick Mahomes, hungry, ready to beat Tom Brady. Uh, we'll, we'll, of course, cover it in, in, in great land at AP when, when we get it. It would matter conference. a lot if he wasn't ready. I guess. I don't know. I, I, OTAs. I, if, Mahomes, if Mahomes missed the entire offseason and just entered the field of play week one, I wouldn't feel any differently about his opportunity to get back to the Super Bowl than I would if, if he was doing OTAs. That's just but it, wow. That's just Mahomes. That's wow. just Mahomes. I'm not talking about every player. I'm not saying players should throw away OTAs. I think OTAs are important for the quality of play. Mahomes is an alien. And I think we know that. Peter King suggests the Chiefs are the number one team in the NFL. John. Agreed. Totally agreed. <laughs> I could tell that from the Chiefs poster behind you as I look at you in the Zoom. I <laughs> I think he's right. I think I think the biggest thing in the Super Bowl was the offensive line. They've completely reversed course on that. Uh, you feel actually really good about it when you felt really bad. And if the Chiefs had this offensive line that they have now in the Super Bowl, I think we got a good game. I don't know if they end up winning the game, but it's a lot closer than it was for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And I added this one because we needed five and you can't have four in a game. The Chiefs are going 20-0, and 0, John. Agree or disagree? <clears throat> uh, disagree. Oh, come on. Now, and that's because that's because I think they're going to be going into week 18 wanting to rest their starters. Okay. And I think it'll just be too hard to win that game uh, with everything else going on. I think it's going to be very hard for a team to go undefeated through an NFL regular season that lasts 17 games. It was hard enough before each additional game uh, increases it logarithmically. So I, I think it's – and I'm, I'm not saying that the Chiefs aren't going to win a whole lot of games this year. They could easily finish the season 17 – no, let's see, it would be 16-1 or, or 15-2 or something like that. They could, they could easily do that. But getting all the way through the season, especially the final game, when Andy Reid is going to want to rest his starters if he's got everything locked up, um, I just don't see – uh, 20 to 20 and zero happening. I just don't. And you said you were passionate about these chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also realistic. <laughs> no, the chiefs are not going 20. No, I would like to say that they would. I think 
of teams this generation, they have probably better chances than other teams or other errors that we have seen. But I, it's hard to believe that everything is going to break your way. You not only have to win the games that you're supposed to win, mm-hmm. every team has these weeks where like, all of a sudden the Rams are losing to the Jets. That's one of one I remember from last year, and it had huge implications on on the course of history because you have Wilson going to the the Jets and Lawrence going to the Jaguars as because of it. So certain things have to break your way in these games that are just weird. We see weird games all the time in the NFL, and so you have to be a little bit lucky and good. And just to think that that's going to happen over seventeen games is, is hard to. And I have the Chiefs losing. I I know that they've been dominant of the division for as long as we can remember now, but they have that stretch after the bye where it's three division games in a row, I believe it's one at home, and then you're on short rest and traveling to the West Coast time zone on Thursday night football. So you you go Broncos, Raiders, Chargers. You got to think one of those games is not going to be a W. And so I I have the Chiefs losing a game or two in the regular season. I still think that they have a great chance to get that lone AFC bye. uh, But 20 and 0 just seems like a tall task. I don't know if I'll ever or we'll ever see any team go 20 and 0 with this new schedule. I think it's just so hard uh, to do. That game is going to be a difference maker, I think, more so than we even realize. All right. Hope you enjoyed our weighing in game. That not a really great name. I mean, you know, you have these great shows. Like I, I mentioned, who wants to be a millionaire and prices is right. And I named this game the weighing in game. Uh, we'll workshop the name for the next time we do this. Uh, you are listening to the Airhead Pride Editor's Show. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know the actual travel experience? Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. It is OTA's week, and we have a great preview up at arrowheadpride.com. Longtime contributor Matt Stagner has given us a few of the headlines to work with of what we expect this week. I want to reiterate what I said earlier in the podcast. I don't expect a ton of news to be coming at us until Thursday, Friday, late in the week, but... Uh, There are some points to watch, which I think Stagner correctly hit upon, and we'll go through them right now and weigh in ourselves. All right. How does the new offensive line position itself? Peter King, we had mentioned him earlier in the podcast as well. uh, He gave his thought on what the line is going to be. And John, we're all in agreement, and it even seems the national writers are in agreement. Left tackle and left guard, done. I mean, it is 100 million percent going to be Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle and Joe Tooney at left guard. Where it gets interesting is center to right tackle. Peter King had Austin Blythe, the veteran at center. 
He had Kyle Long at right guard and then Mike Remmers at right tackle. We think we may get some indication this week as to how the offensive line is lining up here in OTAs. We'll see if we do get that. What do you expect as of right now, John? I feel like we talk about this every week, but what, what's your expectation as of right now? Well, I thought that Peter King's analysis was based on his four decades of experience in covering the NFL. And Andy Reid. Yeah, and, right. and that it's, it's, it's a safer bet to bet on the veteran as the guy who's going to be the starter at this point in the season. And so he's giving Austin Blythe more credit than maybe he deserves. He's giving Kyle Long credit that he might not deserve. And Mike Remmer's credit that he might not deserve in this situation because all three of those players have got young players pushing them and uh, and could find themselves on the sidelines. But I do think that at least one rookie will make the starting offensive line. My money's still on Creed Humphrey, but I'm getting... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think more like Lucas Niang might have a shot at right tackle. I, I really am. I think it's going to be hard for uh, Smith to come in there and beat out both Duvernay Tardif and Long at right guard. A great man once said, a big man with beautiful feet is better than a little man with beautiful feet. And we know that's what Lucas <laughs> Niang is. I, I like Niang to push Remmers, but I, I think Remmers is going to get right tackle to start the year. I think he did a nice job last year. And the tackle position is just too important to put a rookie out there. I think that's why you saw the Chiefs being so aggressive to go mm-hmm. left tackle. I know that Niang isn't technically a rookie. The Chiefs say he it, it's back in. This is going to be something we talk about all year. Uh, right guard. I still like Allegretti as my dark horse. I'm sticking with it until I hear otherwise, until I see otherwise. Although I understand that that's an underdog behind Kyle Long and what will be the returning Laurent Dubonnet Tardif. And I, I do like the rookie at center because we have seen the Chiefs do it with Andy Reid, with Mitch right. Morse. And I, mm-hmm. I think they like Humphrey enough. I'll never forget. You know, when we're talking about this, that Brett Feach immediately after drafting Humphrey said that locks Joe Tooney in at left guard. That would not be the case if they didn't think he had a realistic chance to become the starter. I, I, Austin Blythe was already there. And so why would that change anything if they didn't think Humphrey could do it this year? Right. So to me, Humphrey is your guy at center. We'll see how it plays out. I, it'll be interesting. It's, it's, it's the number one, I think, battle of the offense. I know that receiver is something we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, but I think offensive line and how that center to right tackle shakes out is much more important than who's going to be your fourth target on offense. All right. It's a check-in on some of the injured players as well. We talked about Patrick Mahomes and the turf toe. We know he's going to be doing, end quote, some stuff during OTAs. So (laughs) take that for what it's worth. But two of them that are a little bit more uncertain because of just, I think, the type of player they are for the Chiefs are Taco Charlton, who's returning from a fractured foot, and Willie Gay, uh, a torn meniscus, maybe not being talked about enough because of the departure of Damian Wilson. Willie Gay is now, in in a sense, you're a number two linebacker, no matter how the positions yeah. of Will, Sam, and Mike shake out. You think he's going to be playing one of those positions and really needing uh, to play meaningful playing time. So how he's recovering from what is a torn meniscus that Super Bowl week, I think is a huge point to watch and maybe the most underrated point to watch that we aren't talking about. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, it, it could be a fairly serious thing. It could take some rehabilitation to come back from, but we'll see. Um, I think we'll start to get a sense of that during OTAs uh, when in the moments that the the media members are available to see what's going on, we'll get a little feedback on that, I think. That'll be one of the things I think they're going to be watching for. And, of course, we've got DeAndre Baker, too, um, who had a broken leg last season. 
uh, doesn't sound like it was a, a huge problem. He should be able to recover from it fine, but sometimes it takes a little time to get completely back into uh, top playing speed from an injury like that. So uh, that could have an effect on on how things play out, and we'll learn more about that uh, during OTAs, we hope. John, it's funny. I didn't have that on my list because the Chiefs have been so nonchalant about the Baker injury. They're like, no, no, no. Don't worry. This bone <laughs> broke cleanly. You don't right, have to worry right. at all about it. It's like it has given you pause as to say, yeah, but he still broke his femur. Like you right, think yeah. you have to <laughs> I think it is a good thing that there's no structural damage right. as what would be in a in a knee. And so that's what they mean. It, they feel it's that classic six weeks that we've all had. We've all had a broken bone. You, you, you put it in a cast Not for me. six weeks. Now you I've never, had a, I've never had a broken bone. Well, I didn't know you were a real life jellyfish, John. Good for you. <laughs> Next point from Stags: Who caught the coach's eye? We will we'll get Andy Reid. I'm a little unclear as to whether or not we'll get assistance. I, I can't remember from the past if we get the assistance during OTAs. We definitely get the assistance during training camp, but we might only be getting Andy Reid. So Andy Reid and what he sees will certainly come across over the next couple of weeks. And this will give us some indication, especially I think on the offensive side of the football, along the offensive line, who he likes, how it's coming along, how the offense is coming along. And this is a really young team. So I think some of these other players like a Noah Gray jumps out to me because he is a candidate as a rookie to take that number two position. Uh, but we'll see how Andy Reid fits him into the offense. We know that he loves those two tight end sets, for example. Yeah, and I think this is going to be another circumstance where everything that Reed says about these players gets parsed endless, endlessly, and uh, and we're going to be quoting things that he said during OTAs for months and months that that maybe he didn't even give that much thought to saying when he's asked these questions. But you know that's what we've got to work with, and we don't have a lot of choices in the matter. So, um, but yes, it'll be interesting to see what he says about these players. Uh, and and how he phrases his answers, because I promise you, we're going to be looking at that very carefully. We have to. It's the only thing we got. Yeah. Everything we got. All right. Last point that Staggs is watching is this wide receiver battle. Mm -hmm. It's McColl Hardman versus the field. And interesting that he put it that way. And I, I think it's probably a good way to put it because this is now or never situation. This is now or never territory for McCole Hardman as to whether or not he's going to take his step forward. I, I think you always had the excuse to rely on, well, Sammy Watkins is holding it back. Well, Demarcus Robinson has been here for a few years. Well, now McCole has been here for a few years. And is he going to finally take that step forward and push the rest of the wide receiver room to, to really take that position? And I think it still is something that remains to be seen, John. Yeah, I agree. And this is a critical moment for him. And, uh, you know, I hadn't really thought about it till you brought it up in the, in the weigh-in game, but, uh, he might've been wiser to, uh, you know, have a, a pass catching competition with other <laughs> wide receivers <laughs> that they could have videotaped and, you know, figured out the percentages or something, uh, just to give a different, uh, perspective on his skills. Uh, cause he does have that problem as being viewed as just a speed guy. And uh, now whether or not he has that issue with the coaching staff is another question, but it's certainly true among fans and uh, observers who watch the game, you know, your sports talks hosts and people like us and so on. Right. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Right. I, 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 think it's just now or never. I, you either take the step forward or you don't. And if you become an afterthought, 
I think I really think that there's some kind of hidden move in the wide receiver room. And I had mentioned it in an article with Demarcus Robinson and the idea that he could be a surprise cut or a surprise trade. I, I don't think it's as likely as Robinson being cut or traded, but there is a universe where I could see Hardman being moved. I know it sounds crazy to say, but I, I think once Brett Veach cut Breland speaks, and I understand he was going into his fourth year, he cut Breland speaks. That changed the game for me because that was a sign of a mature GM that said to himself, I understand I traded up and took this guy in the second round. He's not cutting it. And he moved on and Breland speaks has found his way out of the league. Now I think that there's, and again, it's a long shot here, but there's a scenario where these receivers just look a lot better. And I don't think Hardman would ever be outright cut, but if, especially if there's preseason and whatnot, who knows? You never know where he in a, in a scenario where he could be moved. Again, I am saying that this is a long shot scenario, but the fact that I'm even gotten myself to a mental place here shows you how I think how little success the Hardman experiment has produced, in my opinion. And he could have some value to be traded. I mean, he does have some statistics that show he's effective. I mean, he's got a pretty high yards per catch figure, you know. Uh, he's made some plays. He's scored touchdowns. Um, and maybe on another team, he would be a better fit than he is on the Chiefs. You always have to consider that possibility that to another team, he might look more attractive than he does to us. So, you know, I mean, you talk possible. about that speed. I mean, the Chiefs have their yeah. over the top guy in Hill. That yeah. could be valuable to a team that, that is looking for a guy like that, that has some of the receiving mm -hmm. skills and could be a developmental yeah. player for you. Yeah. I keep wanting to reiterate, I, I really do think that that's a long shot, but you never know with how this receiver room shakes out. It is a very, very deep room. When we yeah. come back, we will name the Chiefs player we feel has the most to gain from the OTAs and training camp and the most to lose from OTAs and training camp. Stay with us on the Airhead Pride Editors Show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we are wrapping up our OTAs and training camp show with players we believe have the most to gain and the most to lose as Chiefs training camp begins. So, John, let's begin our conversation with the Chiefs player you feel has the most to gain during this offseason. I thought about it for a while. This one was kind of tough. They're, well, they're all tough to make this kind of a judgment. But uh, I think I'm going to go with Tim Ward, the defensive end. Okay. Uh, the Chiefs have now. This is a, he's coming into his third season with the Chiefs. He had a uh, an injury redshirt season in 2019 and 2020. He was uh, on the roster for seven games, six games inactive, and then started the Week 17 game against the Chargers at defensive end and and uh, turned a couple of heads in that game. And I think the Chiefs have made an investment in this young man, and they think that he can be somebody that can move forward, but he's got to do it now. He's an undrafted player, and uh, in order for him to stick around for another season, the Chiefs are going to have to find some way to use him this year 
or we're likely not to see him next year. We talk about Taco Charlton and Mike Dana. Tim Ward is your dark horse there in a position across from Frank Clark, in my opinion, that is wide open. I think they Mm -hmm. are looking for someone to really take that bull by the horn, so to speak. They didn't end up drafting in Kando, a guy who we think will be ready on day one to contribute. So it becomes a, a game of veterans there. And that is an interesting position to watch between Charlton, what would be Ward and Mike Dana. All right, my most to gain, and I didn't mention him in our last segment for a reason, is Byron Pringle. Same type of thing. The Chiefs have taken Byron Pringle as a local undrafted free agent. They have made him a contributor and special teams. He's been willing to do that. They're finally in a position where they made a minor commitment to Demarcus Robinson. McCole Hardman has not been definitive in saying, this is my position quite yet. Uh, They keep mentioning him along with Antonio Callaway, who could be another dark horse in revamping his career. But I'm just focusing more on Brian Pringle because we've actually seen him in Kansas City during limited opportunity, really take advantage of those opportunities. And now I just think there's such a a void left by Sammy Watkins in playing time. The Chiefs have dealt with it and really, I think, put more Robinson in the mix in the past when Watkins has been out with injuries during the regular season. But this is an undrafted player who could be the number four option on what is the best offense, a lot of people would say, in football. And I just think that there's a lot to gain from that. I mean, you, you're talking about a six to 1,000 yard type of opportunity for what would be Byron Pringle, an undrafted free agent. So he is my most to gain uh, as we enter Chiefs OTAs and training camp. All right, John, who is your most to lose Chiefs player as we enter the OTAs? Uh, not because he has the same last name, but he does, Charvarius Ward. Mm. Um, I think that uh, he's in an unusual position. He comes in as the incumbent starter at one of the boundary cornerback positions, but the Chiefs now have two former first-round picks that they've acquired either late last season or in this offseason in DeAndre Baker and Mike Hughes who are going to be competing for those positions. And, of course, we already have LeJarius Sneed, who uh, it it would be fair to call him the best rookie cornerback of 2020. I think it'd be fair to call him. With Breland off the team, hard to say that Sneed is not the best cornerback on the team, period. Right, right. And, And I think there's room there for Ward to become a backup player in this circumstance. And I think any player that gets moved off of his starting spot is a pretty significant thing. Um, So he's going to have to step up in order to remain the starter for the Chiefs this year and really show that he's the guy that belongs there. Yeah, and I think there's a deep defensive back room. There's a lot we don't know about these guys. Can Bo Pete Keys take a step forward? Mm -hmm. They got an interesting player there. And Rashad Fenton, uh, who's coming back. You have the greatest name in football, DiCaprio Boodle. Uh, Manny Patterson, (laughs) Marlon character. There's just names we don't really know a ton about even. And we'll see that at training camp. But the defensive back room is is a room that you can be pushed out unless you come back and and you have proven and earned, okay, I'm going to be a a starter there. So I I like the Trivarius Ward pick. I tend to think he'll be on the team, but will it be in that starting outside role? That really is the question for him. And I have a what would could be a drastic fall here, Andrew Wiley. I mean, if you talk about the offensive line in our conversation before, we didn't even mention 
Andrew Wiley. And that wasn't even intentional. But this is a player who started 10 games for the Chiefs in 2018, 11 in 2019, and 14 in 2020. And he may not be in the best 11 offensive linemen on the roster, which would find him off the team. So a starter for you in what was a playoff and Super Bowl run and a Super Bowl roster is now right on the bubble. And it's a question of where does he fit in? Because we know that he's probably not a starter on this team. We haven't even mentioned him in fighting for any of the starting roles. And then you haven't even mentioned players like Martinez Rankin, Trey Smith, Yazir Durant, Daryl Williams. Where does he fit? Prince Tega Winogo, I know the Chiefs are high on as well. They're only going to keep a maximum of 11 offensive linemen. Is he in the top 11? I don't know if we can say that anymore. And to go from a starter on a Super Bowl team to be off the roster, I just think is is truly the most to lose, in my opinion. Yeah, I, to me, the backup player falling off the team doesn't seem like such a big deal. But you're making a great point. Wiley has been a uh, a real contributor to this team during well, his time. We look at him as a backup player in this right. offseason, John. He's a three-year yeah. starter. Yeah, yeah. But always in a in a backup role, though. I don't sure. Think was, yeah, yeah. But but but, the, but you do you backup offensive linemen becomes starters because you know you you've got five guys out there. One of those guys is going to get injured in any given year. Hopefully not four or five as we saw last year. But uh, but one of those guys is going to get injured. And here's another trivia question: How how many times has the rookie of the year, Mackley Hill winner, been off the team in within three years? Right. Too? Yeah, and, and this is that 2018. Now that might say more about 2018's rookie class than Andrew Wiley, but it is a trivia question to remember nonetheless if he does find his way off the team. Really competitive offensive line room. Continue to, to just commend Brett Veach and the staff for reloading and getting this team ready for what is the and dubbed by Chris Jones the hashtag Take It Back campaign. John, make the T-shirts. What are we doing? <laughs> That is an Arrowhead Pride editor's show for you. We recommend that you keep it locked in on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Get your questions in for the AP Out of Structure Podcast with Ron Kopp and Matt Stagner. We will be having another edition of Show and BK coming at you on Friday. The Great British Chiefs Show will be coming at you on Saturday. Somewhere along the lines, there will also be a From the Podium. As we get to talk to the Chiefs, we believe what will be Thursday, day three of OTAs. So plenty on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Plenty on arrowheadpride.com. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.